0: So, welcome again to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Uh, this is Pastor Trey, and and I get to spend some time with you each week, um, outlining the message that uh, we're going to be having on Sunday morning in a more of a podcast form. You know, I went back and listened to a couple of them, and boy, I sound dead. <laughs> and uh, it just it's, it has been kind of a a time in my life where things are uh, crazy busy and. And so, and I've not been getting great sleep. So, uh, I'd invite you to maybe, uh, if you're ever in our area, if you do listen to us and you are in our area, swing, swing in on a Sunday morning. Things are starting to pick up again, and uh, I'm I'm a little bit more with it on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't mean to sound tired, and so I apologize if that kind of throws you off. Um, anyways hey yeah uh, today we're we're continuing our study in the book of Luke and uh, we're going to be in um, chapter four today um, uh, we were in chapter four last week as well and uh, so we're not like um, rushing through Luke by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, you know, Luke's got so many things that uh, we can stop and, and look at, and and uh, maybe a little bit later on we'll kind of lump some of the uh, healings that Jesus does together uh, to kind of speed things up. But um, right right now I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, measuring things, and um, especially when it comes to debt and, and seeing how you can get out of debt. Um, yeah. Uh, And that's something that's very important to us as a church. Uh, We're trying to get out of our mortgage uh, debt, Um, trying to pay that off a little bit early. And uh, God's been very good and faithful to that. We have actually a thermometer out in the foyer, and it's a gauge to show our people how much of that mortgage we've been able to pay off and how much more we still have to go. And it's always good to have that kind of out there to to watch what's going on. Um, Debt is nothing new. Um, Churches go into debt to to build buildings. Uh, People go into debt uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, Most of us, if not all of us, have had to deal with, or we are right now, dealing with debt to some degree. Our nation, (laughs) in particular, much of the global community, is in the midst of dealing with the effects of crippling debt, uh, corporate debt, government debt. Now, as you look at debt, there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, there might be unforeseen circumstances, like you, you've got an emergency surgery or a, a loss of a job. Uh, but sometimes it's uh, you're just you're doing out of control spending, uh, maybe because you want to keep up with the Joneses, and uh, you've got this desire for immediate gratification, and so you want th- things to get, get into your life. You want to buy things so that uh, you can satisfy that, and you go into to credit uh, credit debt, and uh, you, you overuse your credit. And of course, right now in our world, with uh, gas prices sky high and uh, inflation is just crazy right now, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for debt. But there are laws that our nation put into place a long time ago that give us some protection. Um, they give protection to, to people who owe money, who, who are in debt to other people, um, especially those who are unable to meet their obligations. Now, those those solutions um, are not um, perfect. Um, there, there are protections and, and you can declare bankruptcy, for example, uh, though there are some consequences of that, obviously, um, messing up your credit for, for a while, but even the, the bankruptcy laws, I mean, that, that's, I guess what I'm saying is that they, uh, you, you, don't want to just automatically just jump into those laws, uh, even though they're there to protect you, uh, because they carry some pretty severe consequences, um, the record of that bankruptcy stays in your uh, credit report for years. And it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to, to establish credit during that time. And unfortunately, these laws have been known to be abused by people. Um, uh, they don't necessarily need the bankruptcy laws, but they, they figure that uh, they can manipulate the system by utilizing bankruptcy laws and they take advantage of those who had extended credit privileges to them. And, and uh, that's not uh, a good thing. That's not a, a thing of integrity at all. Now, now that we've talked about debt, imagine this scenario. What if we announced that on uh, Resurrection Sunday this year, April 17th, what, what if we announced that on that day the debts of every person who is a member of Powell Butte Christian Church, the debts would be paid off. All Every debt that you had would be paid off by an anonymous donor. Now, that would be, that would be something. That would be pretty exciting. Um. A lot of things might happen. Uh, m- maybe our membership class coming up on March 27th would be filled to capacity because people wanted to get in on this so they would become members just so that they could have their debts uh, eliminated. Um, uh, m- maybe they uh, people who don't even go to our church would say, hey, I want to be a part of your church, and they would come in, and they would uh, be able to take advantage of that as well. I, I don't think anybody would uh, say, oh, well, on April 17th, the debts are going to be paid, so that they run out and they run up their debt as far as they can, knowing that that was going to be taken care of uh, on Resurrection Sunday. So there's a lot of things that, uh, I mean, I'm sure that people would be very excited if we had announced that. Now, why am I talking about it? Why am I talking about debt? No, we're not going to be doing that on Resurrection Sunday. Well, not in a, a financial or economic sense, uh, but uh, there, there will be debt that would be forgiven on uh, Resurrection Sunday for those uh, who come to the church, just like there would be a debt that can be forgiven any time you come to the church to hear God's Word. Anytime you're at home alone and you want to connect with God, your debt can be uh, taken care of. And that's really what the good news is about uh, this passage in Luke 4. Uh, because this passage where Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, and he is going to speak at their synagogue assembly, He's going to read a passage from the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to cause quite a stir with what he then will declare about it. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, and we're going to start with verse 14. It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he rolled back up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." Now, this happens immediately after Jesus comes out of the wilderness with the the whole temptations thing. He's now ready to begin his ministry. According to Luke chapter 3, he's about 30 years old, and he's gone back to his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee, the the region of Israel there uh, by the Sea of Galilee. He has started to become fairly well-known in this region. He's kind of a hometown hero that has made good in a way. Uh, He's actually gone to teach at other synagogues of other towns, and now he's been invited to come back home and to read from the Scriptures in his hometown synagogue where he had grown up. Uh, he was going to read, and then he was going to interpret those scriptures. That's what you would do when you would be reading uh, the scrolls uh, there in the synagogue. And as we're going to see, it's going <clears> to <throat> it's, it's go about as well as you would imagine. You know, like uh, you know, growing up in a particular church and then trying to get a job at that church. That's what happened. I, with me, I'd grown up in a church in San Jose, and I applied to be the youth pastor after I had graduated from Bible college. I had been at that church since third grade. They knew me. They liked me. Uh, Most of them liked me, and they had even ordained me. But because I had grown up there, because they knew me, when it came time for me to actually say, hey, can I work there, Uh, they said, no, not so much. They didn't really want me in that capacity. And that was essentially what is going to happen here in Nazareth, where um, no prophet will be actually um, accepted in his hometown uh, we 're going to dive into that next week, but um, uh, that 's kind of what 's going to going to go on here. but the thing that I really want you to see from this text that Jesus read from so this was from a scroll of isaiah um, they didn 't have bound books at the time, uh, so scrolls would would be used uh, the scrolls would contain the scriptures, and you would uh, they would give it to you, and you would have to scroll through to find the passage. And maybe that actually vindicates you all who use an app for your Bible reading. You scroll through until you find the passage. That's what Jesus had to do with a real scroll. And he reads from Isaiah 61. Actually, this is where uh, he reads. Um, And it's just the first few verses of that psalm. Uh, But Isaiah... 61 is actually alluding to an earlier passage from the Jewish scriptures uh, back in the book of Leviticus, in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the book of Moses, Leviticus. In the, in the book of Leviticus, we get details spelled out uh, regards, regarding three different and yet very connected Sabbath celebrations that God had ordained for His people. Sabbath meaning rest or seventh. Um, You know, God created the world in six days, and then He rested on the seventh, so He told man that He needs to rest on the seventh day as well after working for six days. It was was a good thing for people to, to be able to take time off work and to just enjoy the things that God had given to them without having to try to gain more or to try to uh, do for themselves what God says He was going to do for them anyway. So so the Sabbaths were intended for man to rest. But not just for man to rest, but for the land to also rest. Um, See, there was the Sabbath day, the the day that was the Sabbath, which was the seventh day of, of the week. Then there was the Sabbath year uh, that we read of in Leviticus, and that would be every seventh year. And then there would be the year of Jubilee. So connected, and they were celebrations that God had ordained for His people. Um, now, the Sabbath day, again, that was the seventh day of the week, the day on which people were to rest from their six-day labor week. Uh, the Sabbath year occurred every seventh year. It was a time where the people were to leave their fields and their vineyards alone, so that the land itself could have a time of rest. Uh, now, whatever the land yielded during that Sabbath would be food for the people. They, they, could, they could take the, the food off of the vine, and, and uh, if things grew in the field, they could harvest it, but they, they were to leave it alone. They were not to plow it, they were not to sow it, they were not to um, uh, create new things. They were to just use what the land would yield to them during that Sabbath year. Uh, they weren't to do anything extra in other words. So that's the Sabbath year. And then finally, the year of Jubilee was the mother of all Sabbaths because the people were to count off seven Sabbath years. So seven times seven years. That would be 49 years. And then after that, so that 49th year would have been just a Sabbath year, right? Because it come after the seven years. The very next year, the 50th year, that was consecrated by the people as the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. In the year of Jubilee, God commanded that anyone who was under debt, anybody who had sold themselves in, into servitude to pay off a debt, they would be released from that debt. They would be released from that servitude. And then on top of that, all of the land that had been sold to pay off debt would would be returned to their ancestral ownership there on the year of Jubilee. And then finally, whatever grew, whatever grew, would break new ground to sow or to reap new seed nor to harvest untended vines. They were to consume only what was produced by their own already planted fields and vines in their uh, that, that were theirs, the, uh, part of their property. Now, if you go back to Leviticus, and you, you read there in chapter 25 of Leviticus, you'll see a number of other very small details regarding the year of Jubilee, and it is very interesting. I'd encourage you to to read that. But in essence... Uh, the year of Jubilee was one big year-long party and and it served as a great equalizer for God's people. It, it was it was the antithesis of dog-eat-dog, dog, do whatever you can to get ahead, uh, you know, playing that big game of Monopoly and you're trying to buy out everybody so that they all go bankrupt and they all lose the game and you can win by owning it all. Well, Jubilee made sure that nobody could do that, okay? Um, Uh, It was fighting against the everybody out for his own good worldview. It was God's 50-year reset, if you will, that would give everybody a renewed hope Um, and reminding that the ground was level for the people of God. Now, talk about a bailout plan. Uh, Now, this isn't communism, folks. This isn't communism where everything is controlled by the state because, you know, the people owned their land. They had a right to to own land. They had a right to make a profit. But it wasn't uh, unrestrained capitalism either. You couldn't just, again, buy up all your neighbor's lands and then keep them forever like a giant game of agricultural monopoly. Uh, You could not, under this system, bankrupt your competitors permanently. Uh, And you were required to look out for those who did not own land, those who were poor, those who could fall to predatory lending, In other words, you could not take advantage of people with this 50-year cycle reset system. Because no matter how bad things got, every 50 years, everything, every 50 years, the balance was returned to their economy, and everyone was given a fresh start. Isn't that cool? It's pretty interesting. And I'm sure it helped people to not go into very deep debt. Because if you were a lender of money and you knew that uh, after 50 years you were going to have to forgive whatever had not been paid back to you, uh, you would not uh, probably um, lend out too much money to one person um, because you, you know that whatever hadn't been paid back, you would have to forgive that debt. And it also then helped people uh, who had very small debts know that their children were going to be protected from back-breaking compound interest-increasing debt just in case drastic circumstances prevented them from paying everything back to their creditor. Uh, they wouldn't have to be selling their, um, their, their their kiddos into slavery, in other words, because of the system. But more importantly, so, for what we're going to be looking at this morning, the, the principles that are behind the system was actually designed to be more than just an economic system. They're actually a system that foreshadows what the, uh, what the Messiah was going to do, The effect that the Messiah one day was going to have on this world, this real, actual fulfillment of the kind of blessings that people enjoyed during the year of Jubilee, the Messiah was going to bring that as a very permanent way of living in God's kingdom. So if you go back to Luke chapter 4... We see, uh, as Jesus is reading this passage from Isaiah, and Isaiah has connected his prophecy back to the year of Jubilee, we see three outcomes of the year of Jubilee, three things that the year of Jubilee was supposed to accomplish that actually find their fulfillment in what Jesus has done. And they can only find their fulfillment in what Jesus has done, because only in Jesus is a true year of Jubilee for his people. So three things. First of all, in the year of Jubilee and in Jesus himself, we will find, we can find release. Release. Now, the, the year of Jubilee, they, they had releasing of their debts, uh, releasing of the, of the uh, servants, the, the indentured servants, the slaves. They were all released. Um, in Jesus, we find release. We find release from spiritual bondage. Uh, we are no longer enslaved to sin. You know, one of the cool titles that the Bible gives to Jesus is Redeemer, the, the one who redeems. And what does that mean? What it means to buy something back from somebody, right? Uh, to redeem is to buy something back from somebody. When, when Jesus died on the cross, He cried out in a loud voice, tetelestai in Greek, tetelestai. Now, that has been translated in our English Bibles as, it is finished, now, you would have thought that he was just saying, oh, good, this whole ordeal is over. It's now finished. I don't have to suffer anymore. But tetelestai, it is finished, actually meant to the Jewish community back then, paid in full. It would have been stamped on an invoice that you might have had, this great debt that you owed somebody. And once it was finally paid in full, they would stamp your, your, your document with the word tetelestai. Uh, paid in full. It is finished. You don't have to pay anything back anymore. Your ransom has been paid. Your debt has been paid. Right? You were finally released from your debt. Or if you had sold yourself into slavery to pay off your debt, you were finally released from slavery. Okay? So, in a very spiritual sense, when Jesus dies on the cross and he says it has been paid in full, that means you and I, we are now free. We, we are no longer under the obligation of our sinful nature. We are no longer under the law. We are no longer slaves to sin. As Paul says in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We're not condemned anymore because we've been set free. We're no longer in slavery. We've been released To the Galatians, Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Isn't that a great illustration? When Jesus says it is finished, when he said it was paid in full, folks, you and I were unburdened from an impossible debt. There's a song that uh, I heard back in the late 80s, early 90s, and I loved it. Uh, it, uh, the, The words are, he paid a debt. Talking about Jesus. He paid a debt he did not owe, and I owed a debt I could not pay, and I needed someone to take my sin away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, because Christ Jesus paid a price that I could never pay. Paid a debt that I could never pay. Now I've read where it says that there are four ways to sin. Okay? If you want to look at how you can sin, you can sin in thought. You can sin in word, you can sin in deed, and you can sin by not doing anything in in inaction, right? So let's say that uh, you commit just one of those just once a day, you know? Uh, One time a day you've sinned in your thought, and one time you sinned in word, and one time you sinned in deed, and one time you sinned in in inaction, that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So there are four four sins then each day. Now, That would equal about 1,400 annually, 1,400 sins. And uh, if you count by the Jubilee years, after 50 years, you'd have uh, 73,000 sins committed. And that's just one of each one of those four a day. That is an impossible debt, 73,000 sins after 50 years. Now, let me ask you, do you really want to stand before God on Judgment Day with a a rap sheet like that, facing an impossible debt like that? But see, that's what the gospel is all about. That's why gospel means good news, and that's what the good news is all about, because that's what the cross meant for us. Jesus went to the cross, and his death was able to pay the penalty. Jesus took the rap for you. I'm amazed at those who have heard of the sacrificial death of Jesus but they just ignore it. They, they they reject it. It's like they they really don't truly understand that there's going to be a payment demanded of our sins. We're going to have to uh, pay for what we've done somehow. And if they don't want to accept the payment that Jesus made for them, do they think that they're going to be able to make it right so that they can stand before God in righteousness? Are you going to ignore the gospel? Are you going to reject it? Or, or you, because you're either going to pay for your own sins, or you you can accept the payment that Jesus made for you to pay for those sins, and then to release you from your bondage to sin. Well, secondly, in the year of Jubilee uh, and in Jesus, we find restoration. See, in the year of Jubilee for the people of God, restoration, that that was the lands that would be given back to the clans and to the families. Uh, family plots, uh, family farms would return back uh, if they had been sold uh, for uh, purposes of, of taking care of a debt. They would actually be given back to the families that had once owned them. and And like that restoration of the land... In Jesus, there's a restoration of an, an inheritance that is also from way back in time. You see, we've had an inheritance. If we are people of faith, we have an inheritance found in uh, the lineage, the spiritual lineage of Abraham. See, God told Abraham that he would bless him and that he would bless him uh, by being a, a father of many nations. And through Abraham, all of the peoples of the earth would be blessed. See, that's a promise of restoration, of an an inheritance. But that inheritance had one time belonged to mankind in the Garden of Eden. It belonged to Adam and Eve. But we lost it. Adam and Eve, they forfeited that in their disobedience. And what was lost in that disobedience, we can now find again in the obedience of Jesus. Jesus. See, that's, that's what's cool about the year of Jubilee and in Jesus having restoration. Restoration of what God had always designed for us to, to have. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, If by the trespass of the one man, which is Adam, he's talking about the first Adam, um, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, he, he's, he's uh, comparing the two. Uh, the, the Adam came along, and death reigned through Adam because of his disobedience. But because of this one man, Jesus Christ, those who have received God's uh, uh, grace, uh, they get the gift of righteousness, and they're going to reign in life through Jesus Christ we find restoration to our ancestral heritage, our spiritual heritage and inheritance because of who Jesus is. There's a restoration not just of our, um, of our ancestral inheritance, but also of our future home in a perfect paradise. You know, Revelation 22 says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. He's describing this the scene in, in the afterlife, in paradise, this perfect paradise. And he says, on each side of that river stood the tree of life, the tree of life that had been in the Garden of Eden that was taken away from us. Now there's a tree of life there, and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse. So there's a, a, a restoration of our inher- ancestral inheritance what God had promised uh, Adam, and then what God had promised Abraham. And now there's a restoration of our perfect paradise home in our future. See, again, what was lost in the garden, which was the access to the tree of life, is now freely given to us when God renews the heavens and the earth. What else is restored? Our humanity, our human dignity. You know, God created us in His image. And that God image inside of us was marred because of sin. But God wants to restore that in us. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is all about. Chipping away at all of our old sinful nature and making us, recreating us, remaking us into the image that God had always designed us to, to experience, the image of Jesus. You, you remember the show Extreme Makeover? That's essentially what God does um, through Jesus. As Jesus comes on the scene and he's going to fulfill this year of Jubilee, he's saying, listen. Even in his ministry, he was bringing back human dignity. Um, These people had been outcast from a religious culture, and he wanted to show them that they still mattered to God, that God was for them, that God wanted to not just heal them uh, physically, but heal them spiritually. There was a man that was brought to Jesus, and he was paralyzed, and, and Jesus, before he even heals the man physically, he says, your sins are forgiven, and everybody had a cow, The religious leader said, no way, you can't do that. This this man was sinful. That's why he's uh, disabled. That was a a bizarre thing that they they believed back then. But Jesus came with a healing ministry as a foreshadowing of what he was going to do with our souls to restore to us the human dignity that God created in us with the image of God uh, remade in us. And so we can have a restoration of a relationship that God Intended to have with us a relationship uh, not based on fear but on love, so it's not an obligation. It's actually then a choice, and it's something that is delightful for us. So, in the year of Jubilee and in Jesus, we we uh, we find release, we find restoration, and finally, in both the year of Jubilee and in Jesus, we find our rest. Now. This is a very interesting concept because a lot of people still, even though they say that Jesus loved them and died for them, they still take on so much religious, uh, religiosity I'll say, so much religion, do's and don'ts, and, and, and with that comes a lot of guilt that I'm not doing enough or I've done the wrong thing. And it's this rigid nature of, of uh, adherence to the law. And the law is good, by the way. Paul says the law wasn't bad at all, but the law was to show us that we cannot keep the law; that we needed a savior. People forget that, and they continue to take upon themselves the responsibility to to be perfect uh, keepers of the law. And, and so we we have this uh, these religious rituals and rites, and and we attempt to regulate through our traditions and our interpretations that the, the the right way to live. And if we do it, then great we, we become self righteous, and if we fail at it, then we, we feel self condemned in his ministry. Jesus was actually offering rest from all of that rigmarole. he actually offered rest from having to take the burden of, of the law upon yourself and, and and to to actually have to do all of these things in order for God to actually accept you in matthew eleven you 've heard this before, but this that 's the context that Jesus says, "Listen, come to me." All you who are weary and burdened. And that's not just about the burdens of life. That's the burdens of a religious system that put way too much pressure on people. He says, listen, I'm going to give you rest if you come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, there still is a yoke. There still is a burden because Jesus still says there is a way to live that will please God. But rather than being based on obligation, it's actually based on being gentle and humble in heart. Because when we're humble, we realize that we have a master, we have a a, a Lord, we we have a boss, we have a God that directs our life. And if we're gentle, we are going to have our strength under His control. And and we're going to do it because we have a relationship with Him, and, and it's not because we fear Him, but because we love Him. And that's going to give us rest, folks. Rest from having to live according to our own power. Rest from having to uh, live uh, with our own weaknesses and our own sinful nature. You know, uh, going back to Romans chapter 8, I I read the first two verses. Paul actually continues there by contrasting the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. He says, listen, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. See, we can rest. We don't have to do this because God did this. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of our sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so God condemns the sin in the flesh and God brings about the righteous requirement of the law. Now, it's met in us, and that's that's the benefit that we get, but it's done by God. He brings about the righteous requirement of the law. And then what we do is we don't live according to that flesh anymore, but we now are going to begin to live according to the Spirit. So, what's the conclusion? The Jubilee was, it was uh, initiated so that we can find release and restoration and rest. Jesus came, and he read the scripture, the prophecy from Isaiah that connected it back to the year of Jubilee, and he says, no, listen, in me you're going to find release and restoration and rest. Now, what, what this means is, first of all, we see very clearly what Jesus was going to be doing as he was traveling through Israel and teaching people and performing miracles and, um, and interacting with people, he is going to be offering release and restoration and rest. See, because Jesus will go and he will actually see people differently than the religious leaders had been seeing them. He's going to perceive events from a higher perspective. Even the grotesque nature of the cross would be endured by Jesus because he understood a bigger picture. He understood that the year of Jubilee was going to bring about God's blessing eternally for his people because Jesus is our Jubilee. You see, Jesus was not just supposed to be a good teacher, a a, a good teacher who felt compassion for people, so he healed them of their sicknesses. Yes, he's going to bring sight to the blind, just like it says there in Isaiah, He's going to bring good news to the poor. He's going to proclaim freedom for those who are bound up in broken bodies. But all of those healings are going to point to something much more eternal. Because the healings themselves, though they are nice for a while, they're just temporary. They're about as temporary as life itself. Because even if you were blind and Jesus touches you and now you can see, you'll see with those physical eyes, let's say for the rest of your life, but at the end of your life, guess what? They stop working anyway. Even Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, he had to face death again, right? So the healings were wonderful, but they weren't the main mission. Yes, he would do the healings, but they were supposed to be foreshadowing something. They were the guideposts, if you will, that would point people to the real mission of the Messiah, the real purpose of Jesus' life, which was to be through His sacrifice on the cross, our eternal jubilee. Because once He goes to the cross, we are released from the bondage of sin. We are restored to the inheritance that God has given to us, and we find final rest through the work of the Spirit rather than the work of the flesh. You can join the jubilee, folks. That's the good news that is still around today. You can join the jubilee no matter what your life looks like right now, no matter what bondage you find yourself in, Jesus calls you to a jubilee. And what I love is that the, the word jubilee now has this connotation of celebrating, right? We're going to have a jubilee. We're going to have a jubilee. We're going to have a celebration. Literally in Jesus, we can find and celebrate salvation and find and celebrate restoration and find and celebrate new life, new beginnings. And most of all, We can find and celebrate our new identities. See, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul would say, You are all now sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so now there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. That speaks of the release, that speaks of the restoration, that speaks of the rest. Jubilee means that we can have a new identity because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are the children of God. Now, the one last thing that I find very fascinating, and hope, hopefully you will as well. Remember, though jubilee was initiated in Leviticus, and now we see Jesus fulfilling jubilee in Luke, Jesus had read from the prophecy of the book of Isaiah. And two verses later, we see something pretty incredible because the prophecy would go on about the Messiah. Yes, he was going to um, bind up the brokenhearted. He was going to bring sight to the, to the blind and all of that. But then he says that he's also going to be bringing comfort to all who mourn, and he's going to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, now, there's a beautiful wordplay going on here in the Hebrew because ashes, which would be a sign of mourning and sadness and grief, uh, he said he's going to turn those ashes into a crown of beauty. Well, the word for ashes there is, is the Hebrew word ether, ether. and that's a sign of heartache and grief and, and, and struggle and death, Right? But he says he's going to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Well, if ashes was the Hebrew word epher, the, the, the word in Hebrew for crown of beauty was fe'er. Effer, ashes. Fe'er, uh, crown of, of glory, a sign of adornment and favor. Effer is changed to fe'er. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's just it's, it's a three-letter word, and the first two letters get switched they look identical except for those switch. God is a god who switches things, who flips things in our favor when we are part of his team, when we are part of his family, a part of his kingdom. It all hinges on flipping the things from ferr, I mean from effer to feer, from effer, from ashes, grieving and heartache to feer. Adornment and favor. That's what God has intended for you. And we know this because Jesus came with a mission. And that mission was to establish the year of Jubilee, which wasn't just a year. It was actually from that point on. From the time of his death and resurrection, we have been living in the day of Jubilee, folks. And we can find Release from our sins, we can find restoration for our souls, and we can find rest in our spirits. That's available to you if you would just accept Jesus as your Jubilee. All right, that's uh, what I wanted to talk to you today about. And uh, if you ever wanted to know more about uh, what it means to to be a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus yet and you, you want to know about what's going on. I would I'd direct you to uh, maybe a church in your area that you could uh, talk to somebody about that. Or if you wanted to email me, you could always email me at uh, Trey, T R E Y, dot PBCC. That's Powell Butte Christian Church. So Trey, T R E Y, dot PBCC at gmail, and uh, that would come right directly to my inbox, and I would love to be able to talk with you and and, uh, share with you what the Bible says about having your own personal jubilee. Anyways, I want to thank again the team that uh, makes these podcasts possible uh, for Steve Pittman. Uh, He's one of our elders who's very tech-savvy, and he works on our boards and our our, uh, monitors and our computer uh, systems and and then i 'd love to thank uh, our executive producer, um, Lisa Welly. This was her idea to actually get the podcast up on the um, on the uh, podcast sites and on our website and so uh, because of her, this is actually made possible uh, for you to listen. So I want to thank those guys as well and I want to thank you for tuning in and uh, pray that God is speaking to you through the words that uh, we share. Uh, They're they're not our words. They're his words. And so we bring glory to God for any life change that is happening. And um, may God bless you. And may you have a great week this week as you shine for him.